And the dice are screaming are coming at you once again. Look uh, out. Oh, wow. That is very nice. I like that. Resonant. Yes. Oh. Oh, hey, even better. A little, little Tarzan-esque. Oh, yeah. 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 We like that. All right. So I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And together we form the two-headed literary Etten of podcast gaming <laughs> podcast. Yeah, podcast. I said it. It's it's true. The, the two-headed literary Etten, uh, also sometimes known as the uh, late summer garbage strike of oh, gaming podcasts. Indeed. When the horseflies grow to three inches long. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're not that bad. Not yet. <laughs> Give us a while. We're working on it. Uh. <laughs> so, yeah, we got a new mic tonight. Uh, the old one, you know, was getting a little worn and scratchy and... Hasn't it shaved. Old, yeah, it hasn't uh, been coherent for a while. <laughs> so hopefully you enjoy our rich baritone voices being broadcast over the stream waves of the interwebs. Yeah, this one, uh, it, it's now passing through the laser-like focus of a condenser mic that I'm incredibly impressed by. And we owe a special thank you to Abby. Yeah. Uh, whom you may remember from our cosplay and costuming yeah. episode. So uh, thank you, Abby. This is very nice, and I'm literally speechless in how to say thank you for this. I am figuratively speechless. I, I am still, in fact, speaking, but I right. am figuratively speechless because I, I don't know what to say. It's so awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Abby. So thank you. shiny. So we'll be using this, so let us know what you think about the new mic. Is it too loud, too low, too little, too much? Yay. Yeah. Uh, we can hear ourselves, but, uh, you know, it's a little hard to get the proper feedback after the interwebs is done with us. So, But anyway, uh, we don't have any call-ins tonight, which is odd, but uh, also that yeah. gives us more time to ramble on about things that oh, are going good. to concern us on we're, a Topic we're, Tuesday. We're going to need some time for this one, too, so it's just as well. We're, we're going to need to, you know, we're going to have to move fast on this one. Yep, we got a lot of ground to cover, so... We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor and be right back. So stick around. All right, and we're back. So thanks for being patient. And we're here to abuse your eardrums for the time being. So stick around. Our topic for tonight. Oh. What is it? Oh, oh, happy day. I've waited for this for a while. I mean, it, it's been ballyhooed and promised. Uh, but I've been looking forward to this too a while. This is 80s movie night. Mm. Uh, and we're just... We're going to just do three, because honestly, there's so many that are worth actually doing a podcast over that, you know, three is about as many as we can manage in a session and without glossing over almost everything except the name and a couple of key points. So three will give us a chance to honestly break down and, and do a little pick apart uh, to talk about three movies that we think were enthusiastic uh, inclusions in the, the fantasy movies of the 80s that also helped to propagate the gaming universe. I mean, yeah, they're, they're well loved by a lot of gamers for ver a variety of reasons. Uh, one of the movies we've covered before is Conan the Barbarian. We've also touched a little bit on The Dark Crystal and some other things like that. But one thing we're going to talk about tonight is those early 80 movies that were very influential. And, of course, we'll be getting to some other ones, too, because the 80s were actually a ripe time for good fantasy movies. 
and some bad ones. So we're going to start out with the bad and move our way up to the good. We're going to cover three movies, and in this order, it's going to be... Hawk the Slayer. Yes. Number one with a bullet, 1981. Right, and the next one would be Crawl. 1983. Yep, Crawl. And finally topping the list, Dragon Slayer. Also, actually, wait a minute. I'm not sure Hawk the Slayer was 81, was it? Uh, I can't remember the year for that one. But uh, Dragon Slayer was 1981. Right, and it was a Disney production, too. Correct. A surprising break away from their traditional form uh, for Disney. But uh, that would be it. Those are our big three tonight. Hawk the Slayer. Uh, Crawl. <laughs> Crawl. And Dragon Slayer. All right, so let's get started. Let's talk about Hawk the Slayer. Now, this was an English production. It is a cult classic. It is definitely a B-movie. It is uh, one that I love, not because uh, some like some of the other ones, like Ator the Slayer and Deathstalker, which were, eh, you know, <laughs> let's put it this way. Uh, they You can't really watch uh, Deathstalker without um, having question. You know, why you're watching a TNA film by Roger Corman, but you know, it has its moments and it's not entirely bad, but it's a Roger Corman flick, so you knew what you were getting into, so you can't blame yourself. But Hawk the Slayer Hawk the Slayer could catch you by surprise. Uh, it's not, it's a kind of Frankenstein's monster of early fantasy movie. Yep. All the individual parts, if you were to disassemble the entire film, the individual parts are actually really good. Okay, it, and I, I don't feel at all ashamed of saying that in spite of its status as a B-movie. If you disassemble it and you look at the raw parts, the potential was amazing. But by the time they were stitched together, it was kind of a hideous spectacle to behold. Because, the, you know, you, you knew what the potential was and it did not turn that way at all. Like, fire bad! Oh, yeah. <laughs> Director naughty! Um, I, uh, I, I, I cherish Hawk the Slayer the way a person who was 11 when they saw it yeah. can cherish it, okay? Because there were not a lot of fantasy-themed movies, and if that happened to be your genre, if that happened to be your groove, there just wasn't that much out there for you for a very long time. And then, all of a sudden, these wonderful things started to happen. Yeah, Ralph Bashke did Lord of the Rings, and some people love it or hate it. Um, it was not completed, and of course it got picked up by uh, Rankin and Bass. But this movie, Hawk the Slayer, kind of came in right around the time that Conan the Barbarian was uh, peeking around the corner. And so, you know, they definitely made a good attempt to make a fantasy movie without apology. So to give you a little rundown, uh, the villain is played by Jack Palance. Yeah, and you know you're dealing with a B-movie when you got the villain as Jack Palance, because you're going to be in for a good time. Yeah, I, it, it really lures you in there. You, you see his name attached to anything, and you expect a little better. Uh, in this case, better was not so much forthcoming. I, there are some moments where... His air of menace is wonderful, but poor old Jack. I mean, on this one, you know, you could tell that I, I don't think that they were willing to push him for the best 
shots that they could have gotten. Okay, they uh, they were lucky enough that they got Jack Palance in the first place. And honestly, if you've seen Shane, do you really want to argue with Jack Palance over no. anything? Do you want to no. risk that? No. So I, I think the directors were actually cowed. Like, dude, it's Jack freaking Palance. You know, are you going to tell him, like, that that shot sucked? You know, no. Are you? No. Well, the titular character comes into being <laughs> as the... He is that boom mic. <clears throat> pick it up. I said pick it up. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to pick it up. So, <laughs> you got... Uh, you got the titular character, which uh, is uh, his half brother, Jack Palant, Zoltan the Conqueror. Yeah, who is, who is particularly wicked and vile and cruel and and bent by his uh, the love he could not have the woman that ultimately married his younger half brother, uh, and he unwittingly, you know, in his attempt to kidnap her and steal her away for himself. Killed her. Uh, during and she that. left him with a wound. Yeah. That would never heal. So he concealed it in a half mask. Yep. His his scorched and aching face uh, still haunts him. So. <laughs> so enter in Hawk the Slayer with the Mind Sword that is his birthright now. Which is supposedly Zoltan's. But uh, yeah, that's where the movie starts. And uh Really cool sword. I like the fact that the Mind Stone enters in and the sword comes up into the pommel. It's a fist that opens up and grasps the uh, the stone. Well, that and, uh, you know, it, it can leap to the hand yeah, of its and, proper wielder. Uh, which, uh, again, there's an introduction of that notion into a fantasy film. You know, like the, the weapon that comes when you call it. Yeah. Uh, that got to hand it to Hawk the Slayer. I mean, that was one of the good elements there. The, the tidbit that, you know, is reminiscent to some of the best parts of high fantasy novels and things like that. Yep, and then he's consulted by a seeress, a seer who, she can, she is blind and has a uh, veil across her face with a singular uh, rune of an eye. Yeah, and uh, capable of wielding magics to, you know, move a person from place to place uh, as needed. Yep, and he gathers a band of adventurers, which... Uh, Some well-known to him, others, you know, less so, but uh, a stout, a stalwart band of adventurers. Yeah, kind of a half-giant or Cornish ogre, ogre uh, kind of fellow who's very brawny and uses a huge hammer. And not stupid at all. No, not at all. More like the old uh, English Cornish ogre, who is basically just a big, rowdy brawler, lusty and uh, very gluttonous at times. But, decent nature, and a dwarf who uses a whip. Always was off-put. Uh, and is a bit of a con artist. Yes, so almost like a Gorman Rogue. And then, Crow the Elf. <laughs> Which, <laughs> lord of bad editing. No, mm. um, reputed to be incredibly swift with his bow. Uh, but the limitations of special effects at the time meant that during the scenes where he rapid-fired his bow, uh, it was, you know, choppy re-editing of the exact same shot over and over again. Just pew, 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 pew. Uh, incredibly cheesy in its final form. I, I get what they were trying for. Uh, certainly not Peter Jackson's Legolas. Okay? No, but... You that know, you will not find in Hawk the Slayer. <laughs> it is 
for what it's worth, it's really one of the better uh, treatments of an elf in the cinema until we get Lord of the Rings. So there you True. are. True. Fair enough. Uh, it, it stands as one of the earliest representations. Yeah. So it gets that nod. Okay. I but, mean, it was there first. Um, some cheesy special effects and some journeys and uh, oh, senseless yeah. fights for no reason other than to keep the plot moving. And yeah, it becomes jerky and uh, eventually they get the showdown with Zoltan, the conqueror. And yep, and of course, our hero Hawk the Slayer prevails because, well, um, noble and good, um, he's also a little, there's a little bit of a callous nature that's revealed into him to get the job done. And well, the, the bitterness over like the entire reason he's a hero is yeah. because his beloved bride was slain right in front of him. So, you know, he's. Kind of a cold hero. Yeah. A little bit of a cold fish there. Doesn't uh, engage or connect with people easily. Uh, Again, this is a tidbit where there was some potential there, and it just didn't really fully realized. But uh, the movie is beloved by a lot of fantasy fans. Jolly Blackburn and uh, really uh, goes eight for this one. And, you know, I can't necessarily blame him because it's cheesy, but it's not terrible bad. No, uh, Jolly is our age, so, I mean, he too remembers it as a kid. Yeah. In the era before fantasy movies were incredibly well made, and there just weren't that many out there. So you know, when yeah. one came along, this was a huge event. And it, it was actually to... on the CBS Late Night Movie Bingo. Special. Yes. And that's where it uh, was put into rotation. You could catch it about uh, once every two or three months, depending on... Uh, when they decided to air it or what was going on. Yeah, well, it was in no danger of being back in theaters anytime. No, no. <laughs> I guess it got a limited uh, release in the UK, but uh, only here we got to see it on CBS Late Night and then later on the VHS uh, video store rental days. But uh, it's it's out on DVD and it's Blu-ray, and they actually I, made an I attempt to... It should be totally given the Rocky Horror treatment, that like somebody should sit down and develop... Uh, campy lines to uh, shout during the course of it. Uh, it just cries out at, at, for that kind of treatment. But uh, love it or hate it, it's it's definitely worth a watch. Gather the friends around, and it's just definitely one of those movies where you know you can just turn your brain off and just have some fun. Oh yeah, bring popcorn. Be prepared to laugh. You know, uh, don't take it too seriously. The secret to having fun with a movie is to be with people that uh, you enjoy being around. Right, and uh, so moving on to the next one, Crawl. Yeah, now we're we're moving up the ladder of quality here. Okay. Yeah, this had a bigger budget, and it definitely uh, came after Conan the Barbarian, so this was seen as a serious fantasy film. And, well, they did put a lot of work into this movie. It is definitely a new world, and uh, they come out with some really interesting monsters. Definitely, it's a, uh, it's a twist on an alien invasion into a fantasy world. Yes, uh, a kind of star-spanning blend of science fiction and fantasy. Uh, this they, world has some kind of weird force where when swords clash, there's some kind of magical or magnetic effect, you know, because they had to, you know... Uh, well, they certainly spruced things up with the sparkly sword fights, you know. Yep, and once again, the uh, the titular hero... Well, not titular, but the hero, is his bride is taken from him by the beast, the leader of the aliens who dwells inside a ship that changes position on the planet at the changing of the suns. Yeah, and because it's constantly moving, it is therefore very hard to find. I mean, as fast as you can find out where it is and hurry your way to get to it, oops, too late, it's moved on to the next 
place, you know, at random. Yep, leaving behind scads of their white alien-esque creatures. It's like they kind of looked at HRD and let's make something out of this. And so... Yeah, minions. Yeah, and they have weapons that are kind of inscrutable. Uh, they have kind of ray guns, if you want to call them that, or blasters or whatever. Yeah. But uh, yeah, definitely a, a sword and sorcery flick in that part. Um, <laughs> oh, look for an, a very young Liam Neeson yeah, amongst the supporting the cast as, uh, as part of the supporting cast. And a charming fellow he was in that too. Yeah, there's a, a surprising amount of appearance from him. But nonetheless, the... Uh, I, I gotta say, Cruel gets points for being in, you know, uh, Odysseus-like quest. Yes, uh, companions or, are gathered, a cyclops. Know, Jason and the Arcanauts-esque kind of thing. Uh, yeah, the, the cyclops with its inscrutable wisdom and skillful use of the spear. Uh, yep, um, very patient. Um, knows the time of its own death. <laughs> and also, um, there's other beasties and monsters, the, the Oracle, or the Widow of the Web. Oh, the Widow of the Web, which, by the way, a marvelous scene uh, with the limited special effects of the time. Kroll actually manages to deliver, uh, putting a lot more time and effort into these special effects. And as much as CGI has rendered these kind of things moot, uh, and far better things can be done today. If you watched that movie in 1983, not having seen uh, amazing special effects done all that often, uh, with no idea that CGI was lurking around the corner a decade or two away, uh, it was incredibly impressive at the time. Yeah, and, well, the plot revolves around them getting an artifact called Crawl, which is a throwing star from literally hell, or wherever. And, you know, it can do just about anything they need it to do. And uh, it kills the aliens really fast by flying through the air, sprouting blades or shooting beams from it, basically becoming a Monty Hall Game Master's wet dream. Oh, yeah, the ultimate artifact item weapon that any player could ever find. Oh, yeah, you want this. Oh, yeah. Throwing star of deadly awesome. Yeah, and... Uh, I'm pretty sure it's like plus 20. So. They use it to good effect, uh, just carving their way through the minions of the beast, and they finally, with the uh, Widow of the Web's help, find out where their ship's going to be for the next appearance, and they meet them there and then crash the gate, fighting their way inside, killing more of the minions who come out as little screaming larvae from their white encounter suits or whatever you want to call them. <laughs> and, you know, there's just... A, it's actually pretty well done, but the movie falls flat right then because the artifact is supplanted by the power of love between the, the two united again. And both bride and groom, now fully vested, are able to slay the beast with their combined powers that they already had within them. But that aside... Yeah, a little cheesy, but you know what? Uh, if you had already survived Hawk the Slayer, and then you saw Grohl, you were probably in a pretty happy place by the end of Kroll. Yeah, Kroll's not a bad movie, and definitely I got to see it in the theater at the time, not trying to brag about anything, no. but it was just one of those times where you could go and, you know, for a couple bucks, go grab some popcorn and get a matinee movie of it. And uh, it was definitely well worth it. I was well into D&D, and I was come out pretty pumped. I'm like, this is a pretty good idea, but no way I'm letting the Kroll artifact in my campaign. Oh, go. Lord, no. Uh, yeah, by that, by that time... Uh... <laughs> But fire horses and yes, well, horses that could crisscross the, you know, the, the countryside, uh, 
making a journey of many days into a journey of but hours uh, with hooves of fire. Yep, they can fly across the sky. Um, also, the Cyclops seeing their own doom has become a little bit of a trope, and uh, I like that. But uh, definitely, it's one of those things where you could take the idea of an alien invasion from a you know relatively advanced society coming into conflict with your fantasy world and make something out of it. Yeah, there's lots to be inspired by in Kroll. Uh, I'm forgetting the moment or the name of the lead character at the moment. Yeah. But, uh, I really wanted to include that, but uh, in any case, he did a surprisingly good job. He was... Yeah, it was... A, uh, he fell, unlike the extremely flat hero of uh, Hawk the Slayer, um, this was a much more engaged actor, yeah. much more, you know, convivial, uh, you know, seemed like he was fully vested in the role. Yeah, and Liam Neeson None as of the, the, the bandit prince, whom his, he was placed with a collar that marked him as a criminal to all, that only the uh, king of the land could remove with the key, which he had, and released them all. In return, the rightful king of the land does come with a few perks. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, he and enlists their aid. And so that's a pretty good uh, scene there with Leo, a young Liam Neeson. But uh, definitely uh, well worth checking out. It is also available on Blu-ray, so you can pick that up. Uh, where finer Blu-rays are sold on Amazon. Yeah, and this one is uh, Don't Prepare Not to Laugh So Much. This is, you know, you, you can get that popcorn, gather around the couch with friends, and uh, that's one that I completely... Definitely so, some creepy moments with the, uh, yeah. whatever they're called, the white-clad minions in their suits. Ooh. The little worms crawling out, making a screaming noise. And also the uh, the spider, in the the massive spider in the web. Yeah. Uh, the fairly, you know, as, as I said, that was one of the more impressive scenes. Uh, you know, gave it a little sense of vertigo if you were watching that on a very big screen. Yeah, and also ago. a little bit of arachnophobia if you don't like yeah, spiders. Yeah, fair enough that. I mean, if you don't like spiders to begin with, uh, you know, that. I'm not saying it's up there with Shiab, but, uh, you know, for 1983, mm -hmm. it was pretty unnerving. Yep, and uh, then that'll bring us to our last one, which we're going to spend the a little bit more time. for last. Which is Dragon Slayer. Now... Uh, this Peter is, McNichols yep. in Dragon Slayer. <laughs> wow. Talk about your one-shots. Poor guy. I know, and it's so unfair, too, because, I mean, here's a guy who just really delivered the goods in this movie. Um, I mean, in Disney, uh, breaking from their traditional, uh, their previously traditional uh, squeaky clean um, cartoon animation and silly movies. Okay, I mean, Disney was the, the house of, uh, you know, my life as a teenage dog, or whatever, you know. The Shaggy DA. Yeah, the Shaggy DA. Herbie goes to Paris. Yeah, so they had a rep long built as kids entertainment. You know, entertainment for the whole family. Well, nice and safe and incredibly clean with our entire attitude based on what it must have been like to be alive in 1957. Uh, would you like smart. to listen to some uh, Lawrence Welk? You know, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, that, that oeuvre was their thing. And Dragon Slayer was one of the early breakaways where Disney went a little edgier. 
Yeah, uh, they had done the black hole after Smarting yeah. passing on Star Wars, which we'll maybe cover that some more time. <laughs> I'm just going to say the black holes. It's a good movie, classic. It it has some mood to it, and it definitely the the interior shots. Max von Sydow, oh. Ernest Borgnine. Um, there's several other actors. I'm no thinking. movie has ever been harmed by having Max von Sydow in it. Okay, Flash Gordon was redeemed only by Max von Sydow's performance as Ming. And also the special effects, the flyovers and other things, uh, the Palomino around that ship, the Cygnus. Which I respect the fact that the Cygnus is named after where the first black hole is spotted. Yeah, but uh, enough of the black hole. Yep. The uh, point is, Disney was coming out swinging with a new type of movie, and Dragon Slayer was one of those new types of movies. Yeah, so the type, the principal character starts out as a sorcerer's apprentice, and uh, these guys from the king come asking for the help of the great sorcerer himself and so he comes to see them and tells his apprentice to kill him and he dies like in the first five minutes of the movie and then you're like okay yeah what what was this about you know you're left hanging on that one okay and so bold move by disney on the script choice right there i mean that shows like okay so we're not going to see any special effects He, he only has to be burned yep gotta have that and his ashes collected all inexplicable at the time. You know, so going in, you know, beginning of the movie, you're just like, what the heck just happened? And now the Sorcerer's Apprentice is obligated to pick up this task that his master could not have said. You go ahead, he leaves him with his amulet. and what? Basically like a first level magic user with light and detect magic. Out he goes into the world. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, underprepared. <laughs> so the kingdom is beset by this dragon and they have... Found a way to mollify it by sacrificing maidens. Now, of course, it doesn't really matter to the dragon. You don't really get much of the view of the dragon until about the middle part of the movie. You get a couple teases here and there. But it's found that uh, there is a lottery drawn every year. And all the maidens in this kingdom, names are printed on a runic card and then, or a plaque and put into a cauldron and then stirred. And then it is drawn out. Now, of course, the king loves his daughter very much and has been discreetly ensuring that her name never actually winds up in the cauldron. The king's daughter, on the other hand, takes umbrage at this and considers it a great wrong. So she has every plaque emblazoned with her name. To make up for her father's, uh, you know, jury rigging this uh, for his own purposes, she ensures that she will be the next choice thereby triggering people actually having, you know, like, well, you know, if he wants me to live, he's going to have to actually kill that freaking dragon and rescue our people and stand up to it and be a real man. Uh, So um, there was legend that the young sorcerer found out that there was a spear forged in the elder days to slay dragons. And so they set out and they recover it with a, of the blacksmith's, uh, Son, which he finds out later, has been disguised as a boy, but is actually a girl. Yes. So she will not be subject to the lottery. Ah, correct. And so they two uh, join, and she makes him a shield from the shed scales of the dragon. Yeah. Something that can actually withstand the fire of a dragon easily. 
So now, you know, some pretty epic legendary stuff. Yeah, the uh, the opening up, the uh, they find the tip of the spear, and then uh, they reforge it, and it slices the anvil in half, which was kind of a cool special effect. And then, of course, he goes to confront the dragon and ends up almost killing it, but only wounding it enough to enrage it after killing its young. But unfortunately, the princess is devoured by the young. And so now the dragon, wounded, is very miffed and is coming for revenge. Just angered, it's no longer going to be mollified by just the simple sacrifice of a few people. It's going to go on a rampage. Rampage! They invoke, they throw the uh, ashes of the wizard into a pyre. And using his magic, he is able to revivify, finding out that, of course, the sorcerer was only going to another higher plane of existence. Ah, but that was the point of his death in the beginning, is that uh, if you take a note from Star Wars, you know, if you strike me down, I will be stronger than you. And that was the notion here, mm-hmm. was that this was a thing that had to happen so that he would be able to pull off the final fight against the dragon. Ah. <laughs> and so wizard and dragon go toe-to-toe, and uh, the wizard does a retributive strike with his staff for the Magi, and both him and the <laughs> dragon are destroyed. Uh, pretty much. I mean, that's actually a good summation of it right there. Yeah, but some good effects. Uh, the wizard uh, being uh, revivified inside the dragon's cave. Uh, the fires of the dragon ignite, reigniting him. And, uh, you know, that little resurrection scene there. And, of course, him clearing the skies of the clouds and uh, hurling uh, bolts or meteor sw- meteors at the dragon. Yeah, not bad stuff. I mean, again, for... Very early 1980s, uh, if you were a moviegoer at the time, uh, these were lavish special effects. Uh, some fairly quality actors, uh, even with like comparative unknowns uh, in some of the supporting roles. Uh, it wasn't a big deal. Just a lot of lavish detail, a lot of attention paid to making a good movie. Uh, and it's one of the things that makes this stand out because the level of effort, the level of advertising support, uh, unlike so many other movies where barely any advertising was invested. It's like, ah, you know, this is uh, our off-season filler moment. You know, that was the attitude that was given to a lot of the fantasy genre. Uh, This one did not get that treatment. And, wow, it benefited from it. They, They put their backs to it. And the, they made a good movie. The level of detail in the costumes and also the mood. It was a dark movie. It, it, I'm not saying that like it was oh, uh, look, depressing, but... This is not like Memento or yeah. like Fight Club, okay? This is not that kind of dark. But, um, you know, maybe in the Stranger Things sense, you know, the... Uh, there was a there was a definitely impressive mood about the film. The Almost gothic. I would almost put it right at that edge where you almost got the end of the Dark Ages... Uh, the coming of a new age is upon you, and now the old is fading away because the, both the dragon and the wizard, the last bastions of magical energy in the world, nullify one another. Yeah, that uh, basically it's the end of one age. Uh, the, the last two enormously powerful uh, unbalancing influences in the world uh, in a final titanic battle. Uh, and the sorcerer's apprentice is more like just, you know, a witness to the whole thing and 
you know, the last inheritor of the, the remaining tidbits of yeah, magic. He keeps his uh, master's amulet and, uh, you know, they ride off in the sunset with a magically conjured horse. I wish I had a horse right now, which was the lighter part of the movie. And, you know, it is a Disney film, but, you know, it was a surprising one. And you go in there uh, with your expectations. Now, uh, this is going to be a kitty film. Absolutely not. I mean, no. the princess gets eaten by the dragons. Yeah. All right. It, it, hello, not happy endingville. Okay. I mean, uh, also, <laughs> there is tongue in cheek humor in there, but uh, at the very end, the. I wish we had a horse. The sniveling king, uh, you know, coming out after the dragon is dead and on the ground, poking it with his sword uh, of, of his ancestors. And then, like, his, you know, personnel, his herald announces, yeah, okay. All hail the king's house of the dragon slayer! You know, just, oh. And they jerk. look to each other, the the, <laughs> the sorcerer as apprentice and the blacksmith's daughter both look to each other like, Really? I roll, you know. <laughs> but the job is done one way or another. You know, yep. that it was a terrific outing. Um, and looking back at it, I was, uh, when I went to see it, it was it was a good movie. You know, my grandmother went to see it and she was kind of like, wow, that's kind of dark for a Disney film. Yeah. I, yeah, and, and you know, the princess didn't live through that one, did she? Nope. It got eaten <laughs> up by the dragon, baby dragons. But, uh, you know, um, the. No doll line for that Disney princess. <laughs> yeah, but the, the architecture, the scenery, and the lighting was purposely, I think, done in dark. And then at oh, the end absolutely. of the dragon, then it was like they were on a bright, sunny field. So that's why I kind of put on there that, that sort of moniker. But yeah, a good film and definitely a little bit ahead of its uh, the curve and ahead of its time. But again, Disney doesn't uh, really lavish that one because it also has one of their first nude scenes. I mean... True, all right, yes. And they were really was, trying to break the mold. Okay, you're going to see some uh, this was and A, but, you know. It predates the era of PMRC necessitating mm. the creation of ridiculous movie codes with, like, incredibly minute details. Uh, in those days, uh, if it wasn't rated X, uh, then it was just a movie, and you exercised your discretion, um, <laughs> you know. Well, yeah, Lord Conan was rated R for a good reason. Mostly oh, yeah. for the violence, but yeah, there was some movies in there. It wasn't a Roger Corman production, okay? Yeah, this, you know, <laughs> Breastorama! Um, yeah, just... one of the female characters walks spend in uh, <clears throat> Deathstalker, spends half the film walking around topless. Why? Because it's Roger Corman. Yeah. Uh, no yeah. reason. No. So, Dragon Slayer, of course, was not like that. There, There is a, you know particular scene with some nudity but uh, it's nothing particularly exploitative or ludicrous. just revealing that oh she's not a boy oh 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 that's well okay not a guy <laughs> yeah, but, but a good movie and definitely that's one uh if you can catch it it is available on dvd but not blu-ray you can find some copies here and there, and of course you can probably find some other sources, but we're not going to mention those by name. But yeah, get them. Uh, <laughs> however you get to look at it, uh, it's definitely worth a sit-down. It definitely is a serious uh, movie, and I think one of the underrated uh, movies of that uh, decade and genre as well. Because it definitely is a little bit more moody and pensive than what you would think from Disney. And so that expectation aside... It stands on its own as a full-fledged fantasy film because it really hits all the major notes that a fantasy film, I think, has to hit. It has this hint of magic, 
It's not overwhelming. The characters really don't understand how to wield it because it's unpredictable. And it also, you know, delivers the good with special effects. Uh, yeah. You know, that that's another mark. The dragon was a big thing back then. Uh, it's a little dated now, of course, but... Oh, Lord, yes. But uh, lavish for the time. Much like, you know, you watched the very first uh, Star Wars in 1977. And you're seeing the birth of the special effects revolution from the people at Industrial Lights and Magic in developing techniques that were more skillful than the claymation and the mm. stop-motion animation uh, that had to be done in the past uh, because there were no other substitutes. Right. In so many cases, people didn't even try. They, they avoided anything, you know, like, let's not even make a movie because we can't do that. That's a thing we can't yeah. do. That was what movies were like then. If you roll the clock back about 50 years... There were so many people who wouldn't even give it a shot because it just wasn't possible to do it well. Uh, which is why we have such a profound affection for these films from those times when with so little in the way of tools available to them, so many amazing things got made anyway. Yeah, That's and, what makes it special. And while we've lavished enough praise on All these right. movies and also... Uh, Mike did hold back on his scathing review of Hawk the Slayer because you know I kind of have a soft spot for it. He's much more uh, as I take uh, a much more highbrow approach to Dragon Slayer. Um, these movies have often been uh, poo-pooed as cheesy and cheap, and you know, I I guess that at a certain point I have to come to terms with the fact that I'm not uh, you know eleven or twelve anymore watching Hawk the Slayer on the CBS Late Show on a Friday night. Yeah. And I have to come to terms with, you know, it, yeah, when you look at Crow jumping through the air, firing his bow in double take uh, frames, yeah, it's a little cringy. But <laughs> there's a certain amount of cheesiness that you have to just love it, you know, because oh, they just, sure. they, they were, they were just giving it their all and, you know, bless their hearts, they tried. So... Oh, bless their little hearts. Yeah, yeah I just feel like a, I feel like a southern mom talking oh. about a dumb kid. <laughs> oh, bless his little heart. Oh. Bless their little hearts. They were trying. Yeah, they they gave it their best shot, and a little part of me just I can't help but be the meaner of the two of us and go, "That was your best, really?" Yeah, the guy who did uh, <laughs> just as a little bit of trivia as we end this up, since we got some time to ramble on. Uh, the guy who did Hawk the Slayer did a little trailer before Star Wars opened in the UK, and it was called uh, Dark Angel, I believe. Hmm. It was uh, just about a 15-minute short film. Really? But uh, really moody and edgy, and I think that uh, that got him noticed enough because they wanted a little bit of uh, an opener rather than the cold open that Star Wars would be, they felt it was a little jarring, so they wanted to kind of coax people in, you know, get your fantasy on, you know, okay. lift the imagination up. It's about a knight pursuing his last quest, so. Oh. So it's really, it, yeah. We'll, uh, no, I, I, I was very happy to have gotten a chance to do this one. I've been looking forward to a yeah. movie discussion for so long. Uh, we, we put this one off because we had a lot of terrific topics. Then we had Spooked Dober coming. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, we've had a lot on the plate. Uh, but this was a real pleasure because, you know, <laughs> even with my mixed feelings about Hawk the Slayer, uh, you know, these are an era of movies that collectively, as a group, 
uh, I have an enormous affinity for. I just have a tremendous affection and respect uh, for that time period where people were pushing the boundaries of what could be done. Yep. Uh, and I, <laughs> I look forward to doing another one of these sometime. You know, we, we get uh, uh, through the, the depths of winter here and Next time we'll have to include something like uh, Beastmaster. Uh, yeah, next time we'll get around we'll probably do Beastmaster and uh, oh, uh, Legend and Labyrinth. Yeah. Oh, worthwhile. Yeah, we might end up uh, after I get through all the dark, new Dark Crystal stuff. I might uh, we'll just devote an episode to that. Oh but, yeah, that might actually uh, merit an entire episode on its own because there's now <laughs> so much additional material. Yeah. Um, and some you know mixed feelings on the. You know, like resurgence of it. I mean, everything old is becoming new again. Uh, and as much as I approve of that in gaming, I don't always approve of that in movies. Uh, but there was the example being perfect case in point. Uh, an attempt was made to bandy about the idea of redoing the Princess Bride, and the entirety of the interweb stood up as one and screamed, "For the love of God, no!" And I was very proud for a moment. I was like, you know what? It's a very divided world full of people with radically differing opinions. Except on this, where we all uniformly agree, stop. Just just cut it all out. All swords are united in this cause. <laughs> you know. <laughs> we were, we were going to let you go with burning down barns and, you know, pillaging villagers and, you know, just, uh, you know, mining our childhood for minutia to republish again and again and again. But this, this was the unforgivable act that made the entire world stand up as one and scream, absolutely not, you have gone too far, we will kill you. Yep. That was it. So the Princess Bride not getting a remake that I know of. Uh. <laughs> I was very touched by that. I was glad the world came together over something at last. Yep. So with that, uh, we give yeah. our love. And the reason why we wanted to go with this, I'm just wanting to put this last part in here and then we'll let you go, guys. Right uh, on. Uh, this formed a lot of the background noise, kind of like the uh, space radiation of our genre of fantasy in that point. You know, yeah. like reading certain books, reading certain comics, and also listening to certain types of music. This was all part of the element that you were in, and it definitely soaked into, you know, have you seen Crawl? Well, go down to the video store and rent it, or to the library and get it. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, believe me, the, the things that I had picked up in comic books and in movies uh, were this in books were the things that worked their way into my campaign writing at the time. Yeah. And the good things were kept and the bad things were kind of shelved. But nonetheless, we've worn out your poor eardrums long enough. And hopefully you've enjoyed this episode. And, of course, if you have any comments or questions, we more than cheerfully invite them. You can do so at our Facebook page or download the Anchor app and give us a voice message and give us some of your thoughts and we'll put you on the air. Also, uh, we want to give a season greetings to everybody out there. Hope you're doing fine. It's getting closer to that Christmas event and also our New Year's. So we'll be doing some shout-outs on Friday. I'll have a nice list for all of our loyal listeners and good friends on the podcast and Inker Networks that have helped us through this year. And uh, we look forward to a brand new, bright year coming up. Oh, yes. So, without further ado, we'll let you go. And may, may the, the dice, dice always roll in your favor. favor. We're out. See ya.